Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Revelation Revealed, Part 22. <laughs> chapter 14, Part 2, Chapter 15, hopefully. Uh, review and introduction. Chapter 13, if you'll remember, was like a table of contents for the rest of the book. Like an index showing you what's to come. And you'll remember we, we looked at how that at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, we saw this earlier in Revelation, there were 144,000 who were sealed. And we saw in Revelation 13, as we're getting to the end of the Great Tribulation, there were still 144,000 sealed. God had kept them. And He didn't have 139,999. He didn't have 135,000. He had 144,000. And so we looked at that. Now we're looking at verses 6 and 7 of Revelation 14. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Notice, this angel preaches the gospel, the everlasting gospel. And also announces judgment. The hour of his judgment has come. David Guzik mentions, because the judgment of God is so evident on the earth in the great tribulation, it's no wonder why the crowd of those saved during the great tribulation can't even be numbered. Some have tried to link, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Some have tried to link their ministry. I just want to mention this or technology with the angel flying in the midst of heaven, preaching the everlasting gospel. For instance, TBN named their first satellite Angel One, referencing this verse, seeing it as a fulfillment of this verse. I don't think it is. I think it's an actual angel, not a satellite. But that's really nothing new. It wasn't Original with Paul and Jan Crouch. I mean, the satellite aspect of it was. But uh, Adam Clark in the late 18th century said, think about that. The late 18th century said, quote, But the vision seems to truly describe the British and Foreign Bible Society whose object is to print and circulate the scripture of the Old and New Testaments through all the habitable world and in all languages spoken on the face of the earth. So in the late 1700s, you know, he's saying it's the British and Foreign Bible Society. Even further back, John Trapp, late 1600s, said, this is considered to be John Wycliffe, who wrote more than 200 volumes against the Pope and was a means of much good to many. So he must be the angel flying around the world sharing the everlasting gospel. It's got to be John Wycliffe. I mean, he wrote so many articles against the Pope, right? 
So it's, it's nothing new. I believe, again, this is an actual angel. And here's his message. Fear God and give glory to him. He tells the whole world to do this. They can do this willingly. In other words, he's saying do this willingly on your own, with your own volition. Do it now or be compelled, forced to do so later. Because it's a certainty that every human being who's ever lived will fear God and give Him glory. Philippians 2, 9-11, through 11, Therefore God also has highly exalted Him, given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Dr. Martin Kittle said, Here is the bitter irony of their lot. Though they damned themselves eternally by their refusal to face the truth, one day they will be forced to face it. Sooner or later, the glory they refuse to give the Creator willingly will be torn from them by the spectacle of His wrath. And as we'll see, Revelation 14 is leading into Revelation 15, where the wrath of God will be poured out and be so evident, as Guzik said. Now, I want to pay attention to this idea of the everlasting gospel. John says the angel here, are you with me? Isn't this exciting? So, the angel, John says the angel is preaching, really is preaching the everlasting gospel. We mentioned last time how that, you know, there's good news. The angels proclaim, you know, for unto you this day is born in the city of David. Some good news. And there were other instances where good news was proclaimed, but it wasn't necessarily the everlasting gospel. But this is really the gospel. Now, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, and just kind of just take a look at what the gospel is with, with fresh eyes and then compare it to what this angel is preaching because there's some revelation here, no pun intended, even though we're in the book of Revelation. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So at a fundamental, elementary level, The gospel is, the good news, the good news is, the gospel is, the good news is the message of his death, burial, and resurrection. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? The Messiah. So we respond and relate to this good news through repentance, dying to self, burial, baptism, and resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, raised by the Spirit. 
The Spirit of God fills us. And we see this in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. We're about to see eternal judgment in these next chapters. So here's the deal. The gospel is holistic. It is extensive. I believe it's through the gospel that we receive healing now in this world, provision, deliverance. But at its most fundamental, elementary level, the gospel is to save us from hell, right? To save us from going to hell. Now, with that in mind, listen what John calls the gospel that's being preached by this angel. Are you with me? Verse 7. Fear God and give glory to Him. This is called the gospel. This is the good news. Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. So notice, Jesus' part of the gospel is initiated on, from heaven. It's moner, mono, uh, monergism, right? Mono, it's energized alone by him. It's initiated by him. And Jesus' part is what we call grace, grace. We, we didn't initiate grace. Heaven initiated grace. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It's not that we lo- so wanted God that we pulled him down. God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son. So here we have grace. And, and, and Jesus' part is death, burial, resurrection. We believe that. That's our part, faith. We accept that. And, and we repent and are, you know, water baptized, filled with the Spirit. As Hebrews said, repentance, faith towards God, uh, baptisms, uh, uh, and we, bapt- plural, baptisms, water and Spirit. And so our part is the result of, this is, this is important, our part of connecting, believing, responding to the gospel, our part is the result of us fearing God. Think about that. Fearing God. Awesome respect of God. Fearing God. Giving glory to Him. Worshiping Him as the Creator. Remember what Solomon concluded in Ecclesiastes, the diary of a madman, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So, what's the conclusion? Fear God, keep His commandments. In other words, it's the everlasting gospel here that's being preached. Fear God, give Him glory. 
Worship Him as Creator. You know, you know when it gets real in church? Like we've had some moments lately where it got real. Rob had a moment right here, it got real, like got real, real. Uh, and, and all of us have had those moments. Like, and we've had a lot of them lately. It just gets real. Like we come in, you know, hey, how you doing? Man, it's good to see you. You know, and I sing because you are good and I dance because, you know, I like that song or I don't like that song. Or look at that graphic and the screen and the lights and the smoke or the camera or the sound or the uh, what time is. Oh, we started later, you know, and we're just and we hug and we're like meet and greet. And that's all good. That's part of what we do. But all of a sudden, like when you have that God encounter where it's just like, oh, man, you're moved, man, it's. It's it's the fear of God. It's the power of God. It's, this is not, this is supernatural. This is not just me on my own. This is not me just checking off a list and walking in the doors of a building and joining a club. This is the power of God has confronted me. And it gets real. That is really what brings about our Repentance, our turning from something else. God seizes our attention. We get a revelation of what He has actually done. He is real. He is in this house. He's put His spotlight on me. And we're just kind of, you are God, and I am not. Forgive me from trusting in anything else. I turn my life over to you. I'm trusting in you. And you hear of identifying with him in waters of baptism. And you're like, sign me up. I want a piece of that. And you hear about being filled with the Spirit. And again, it's a supernatural thing. It's not like, repeat after me. He tie my bow tie, Kawasaki, you know, whatever, you know. It's, it's, you, it's you zoning in, power God flowing through you. It gets real. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It gets real. That is what this angel is. The angel's preaching the everlasting gospel, but it's it's getting down to, to the DNA of it, right? Fear God. Give Him glory. Don't trust in yourself. Look to Him. It's all about Jesus. Fear God. Give Him glory. And worship Him as the Creator that He is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Same writer, John. And and, and, and that whole cosmic idea from John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, you're the Son of the living God. I mean, it's this revelation. it's, It's where it gets real. The gospel is what this angel is preaching. And I'm just trying to drive it home. It's not a foreign gospel. At the same time, listen to this. Joseph Seiss puts it like this. It is the gospel in the form that it takes when the hour of judgment has set in. This is one of the very last calls of grace to an apostate world. Think about that. Back in the olden days, y'all remember some of those altar calls, some of you that grew up in church, you know. It would be like, and little Johnny said, well, I'm not going to come to the front tonight. The preacher's telling this story. Little Johnny walked out those doors, got in his car, 
The preacher said, don't go, Johnny. The Lord's got his hand on you. I'm done, preacher. And he leaves. He was in a car wreck. You know, some sad story like that. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm saying. I see you shaking your head. Y'all know about Johnny too, right? Poor Johnny. And then the preacher, you know, tells the story, and then he says, every head bowed and every eye closed, right? Well, when, when those, you know, I, I'm having some fun with that, but there's some truth in that. There are people that had a moment, their last moment. This was one of the last moments for all of humanity that's left on the earth. This is your last chance. So the angel is coming up. Fear God. Judgment is at hand. He's fixing to turn this world upside down in a bad way. We're going to see it in a moment. It's so underplayed, underpreached, and I'm guilty of it, when it comes to the wrath of God. We're going to see in Revelation 16 and going into 17, the the pouring out of the bowls or the censers, uh, the vials, I think King James says, the the censers which are shallow like plates, but they're filled with wrath. God's wrath, not the devil, not just hard times and economic troubles, not just, you know, uh, torn ligaments and you know, arthritis and bursitis and no, the wrath of God that, that just poured out and the angels saying, fear God, man, turn to him, give him glory. So it's, it's an altar call. It's an altar call, preaching the everlasting gospel. It's powerful. And to every tribe, nation, tongue, people. Now, I, I want to say this, 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 this angel is preaching, listen, to every nation, tribe, tongue, people group. This this could be viewed as a fulfillment of Matthew twenty four four. The gospel would be preached into all the world before he comes back. But but that that could never be a valid excuse for us to not go into all the world and disregard the Great Commission. God has not given the responsibility for spreading the gospel to angels. He has entrusted that to people. To people. It is up to us to share the gospel. This is the only place in the New Testament where we see an angel preaching the gospel. In God's sublime wisdom, Guzik says, he has chosen to give that responsibility to people apart from the rarest of exceptions like this one we see here. We believe in going to all the world. We believe in missions. Jesus, people, mission. We believe in it local and globally. I want to remind you I made a $1,000 pledge because some go and some, you know, help others go. And we're to all go in our own world, but we send people all over the world. And we made a $1,000 pledge, LifePoint did, because of the times, to uh, send missionaries all around the world. It was incredibly powerful. Over $800,000 was given at that meeting. We were 1,000 of that 800,000. One day we'll be even more than that. But uh, just pray about that, be in prayer. You know, if 10 of us uh, gave 200 bucks or 20 of us gave 100 bucks, like, right? No, that'd be 2,000. You know what I'm saying. It wouldn't take much to get to $1,000, right? If one of us gave $1,000 and two of us gave $10,000, we could put a, an army to flight. But, uh, or you get what I'm saying. 
Let's look at verses 8 through 11. Oh, it's awful quiet in here. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Verses 8 through 11. And another angel follows saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Emphasizing that. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city. Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So we'll see more about Babylon later in the book, Revelation 17. But for now, it's enough to see it represents humanity in an organized rebellion against the true and living God. We'll talk about it some more. It involves Nimrod. He was the first world dictator. This is referring to the last world dictator who is also like Nimrod, kind of like Nimrod II. John Volford points out prophetically Babylon sometimes refers to a literal city, sometimes to a religious system, sometimes to a political system, but it all stems from the evil character of historic Babylon, which was founded, Valley of Shinar, uh, with the influence of Nimrod. A second angel is crying out that Babylon is fallen at this time. And when the angel says Babylon has led all nations into fornication, we mention this uh, with the idea of the 144,000 being pure, same type thing. They were virgins. It said the idea is this, this is spiritual adultery or spiritual immorality, fornication, worshiping other gods. We see that throughout the Bible. And so Babylon has led all nations in serving other gods. Then this third angel warns of imminent judgment. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. You remember we talked about that. Remember you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. And if you'll remember I told you I used to think it was big tattoo 666 and then I thought it would be like that UPC code, you know, the bars. And uh, it's going to be much more clever than that. But the idea is you, you would have economic sanctions you will have economic sanctions. Hopefully, you know, you're not here. We're all gone. We're looking on from the mezzanine. But whoever's left, if they, if they don't take the mark, they can't buy or sell. There are economic sanctions. So somehow, you know, we talked about cards. They have chips, right? They used to swipe. Then it was chip. used to do. Remember that? When my first album came out. I got a credit card swiper because I just knew I was going to sell like millions. And, and I went to this big gig in, in Ohio, 1,200 kids there. I had Jay Mill, our first intern, who's going to be here this Sunday. And I said, Jay Mill, I want you to sell those albums, and here's my credit card machine. It, it, wasn't a, it was a one of those machines. And, and so we sold one CD with the And I'll never forget, I was so proud. It's like, yes, you know. Oh, and I sent it in to the credit card company, and I got my 
whatever it was, you know, and I was like, I am legit, you know, credit cards, that thing, you know. wish I could find that thing anymore. But uh, that's how old I am, right? So the, uh, the idea is now it's, you have a swiper and then you get a chip and it's going to make sense. It's going to be in your hand or on your forehead. You'll walk through a machine. I mean, look at Amazon. Amazon's crazy. They know who you are. They know what you look at online. They track you down. They trace you down. You, you even Google and, and Alexa, I don't trust them at all, Google Home and Alexa. Don't They are spying on us. I'm telling you, I'm not a conspiracy, conspiracy guy, but I'm telling you they're spying on me because I'm like, man, I sure would like some pizza. I get online, I'm, I go to Google, and it's like, how about some pizza? You know, like, I go to something, there's pizza ads. I'm like, you're spying on me. You are spying. Bezos and Amazon, ridiculous. Just, I never logged off. I can go get on a new computer, log on, and it's like, not even log. It's go to Amazon. I'm, I'm there. Hey, Donovan. You know, we hear you've been looking for this stuff, you know. One, one click. Click here and buy now. You're right? One click. It's ridiculous. And think about how we lean on that, right? Some of y'all don't even go to the grocery store except to pick them up. You order it all online, and you just go and pick it up. It's all ready for you. How addicted are we to that? And and if we're here, if we don't make it in that first going away, beware. Because it's like, oh, no, you can't do your groceries that way until you get this mark. Oh, man, I shouldn't do that. Here's the deal. There is a connection, according to this, between worshiping the beast and his image and receiving his mark on your forehead or your hand. So, in other words, no one's going to casually, accidentally get the mark. There's a connection between worshiping the beast and taking the mark of the beast. One writer writes, although receiving the mark may seem innocent enough to those who dwell on the earth, in their eyes, it may not seem like much more than a mere pledge of allegiance or devotion to the Antichrist or his government. In other words, it was the same way in the first centuries of Christianity when you had to burn a pinch of incense to Caesar in the Roman Empire. And you had to say, uh, Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. But the early Christians saw that not as a little deal. There's one Lord, and his name is Jesus. They said, Christos Curios, not Kaiser Curios. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. And they were burned at the stake, they were fed to the lions. They were persecuted. They were killed as a result. I think it's fascinating to see the parallel between the former reign and the latter reign, between the early house and the latter house. So we want the same power, but there could be the same level of pressure and persecution, and even to a greater extent. And I think that we're seeing that already in our world, the spirit of Antichrist that's already in the world.
remember the three Hebrew children. It would have been such a simple thing for them to just bow the knee on the outside physically and and not bow the knee on the heart. You know, like if you just bow the knee, you won't be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they're like, how about it, Abednego? Yeah, let's, no, we're not, we don't mean it. So they just take a knee. But their integrity was such that they said, no, 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 that's dishonest. We will never bow to that statue. There's one God, and it is not Nebuchadnezzar or that image. And the Lord said, thou shalt not make unto me any graven images. You'll have no other gods before me. Forget you. No, I am not bowing to that thing. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. So I, I think it's fascinating. No one will accidentally, you'll have to make compromises. That's why you better be careful when you start compromising your beliefs. Careful when you start compromising your conscience violating your conscience, crossing lines and boundaries that you feel bad about, you better be careful. Those things are put there for a reason. God's convicted you about some things. Now, my convictions may be different than your convictions, and I'm going to shut up and not uh, push my convictions on you because God's convicted me about some. Now, there's some word convictions that are universal, right? But, But on the other hand, like sweep around your own porch, you know what I'm saying, and let God work on me. But don't compromise your, your values uh, because the day will come when there will be a line that you cross that will be an important line, that will be a game changer. Amen. Now, it says, He himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. So, the ones who worship the Antichrist, take, take the mark and all that, will be forced to drink the wine of the wrath of God. The cup of God's wrath, it, it, he puts it like this. It's like undiluted wine. It's not watered down. It, it's, it's not, you know, like, you know, a wine cooler or something like that. It's, it's, it's mixed even with spices to make it stronger, this idea of full strength. It's undiluted. It's, it's strong. The idea is that, that God holds a, a cup of, of wrath, and, and he makes those under judgment drink it. And, and that, that idea is expressed some 13, 14, 15 times throughout the Bible, the idea of this cup of God's wrath. Psalm 75, Jeremiah 25, some other places. When, when Jesus was in the garden and, and he said, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, so this idea of, of the wrath of God, and here we see where these enemies of the Lord, the cup is forced upon them, the wine of the wrath of God. And I think it's fascinating that when we see that Jesus took that bitter cup in the garden and on the cross, ultimately, it did not, it did not take this cup away in Revelation 14, right? You see that? In other words, we can say, well, Jesus took the cup already. There's no more cups. There's, it, the, all, the, all the wrath of God was absorbed by Jesus Christ. I see where we're coming with on that thought. But here in Revelation, we have to reconcile this. Here is the wrath of God being poured out on human beings for whom Christ died. You got to go where the text takes you, so you got to ponder these things. The wine in the cup 
is associated with wrath. The, the Greek is thymos, which describes a passionate anger. The cup itself is associated with indignation. The word is orge, which is anger from a settled disposition. The ancient Greek word orge is the common word for God's anger in the New Testament. The ancient word thymos is used only 11 times. Ten of the 11 are in the book of Revelation. Usually God's anger towards sinners does not flash against them. It is simply his settled opposition against sin and unrighteousness. But in the book of Revelation, which is so clearly describing God's ultimate judgment, the term for passionate anger is used more often. In other words, it's a flash of anger. This is just, God is mad. How many of you know when God is mad, it is bad, right? I mean, you know, when you are mad and a flash of anger takes place, bad things can happen. Imagine God. So it's not just this settled opposition. It's like, I've had it with you. I mean, it's just this un, it's this passionate anger, passionate anger. And so we see here that uh, against these, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. This is speaking of suffering. This is speaking of hell. This is real torment. This is painful. This is repulsive. Leon Morris said, and I thought this was neat, quote, the modern vogue for dispensing with hell has no counterpart in the book of Revelation. We like to just disregard the subject. It's antiquated. Forget about it. It's a real place, y'all. And this is interesting, too. Fire and brimstone tormented in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. I thought hell was being separated from the presence of God. Here it says they're tormented. Well, they're tormented since forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of God. In a sense, you could say the presence of God is there in His holy justice and wrath against sin. It's the sight of the Lord we don't, we don't look at. No wonder the angel was saying, Fear God, y'all! Wake up! This is an angel. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. This is an angel that is supernatural, very powerful, and it says he said with a loud voice, Fear God! Give Him glory! Come on, y'all! It's, just, it's this altar call for the world. And I'm just going to tell you right now, let me just close with that. You know what? Maybe that's for us. Maybe with a loud voice, we need to hear that. Fear God. Give glory to God. Bow the knee while you can, because one day you will. Your arrogance and your pride will not be able to stop you from quaking and shaking and saying, you are the true and living God. I wish I would have known earlier. You know what I'm saying? When, when, when Lazarus was with Abraham and he said, please, well, well, he was in hell, but he's saying to Abraham, he said, uh, when the rich man, Lazarus is with Abraham, the rich man is in hell, and he lifts up his, his eyes and he sees Father Abraham and he says, would you just let Lazarus put some water on his fingertip and touch my tongue? I'm parched in this place of torment. And Abraham said, no, there's a great gulf between us. You, this can't happen. And, and that man said, listen, I've got five brothers still on the earth. 
Would you please send somebody to warn them about, we've got the same bents in our life. We were raised by the same mama and daddy. we got the same weaknesses. They're going to come here. Would you please send somebody to warn them? Folks, that's our job as a church is to warn people. You better fear God now. Listen, I want want you to repent. I want to water baptize you in Jesus' name. I want you filled with the Holy Ghost. But it's got to start with fear God and give him glory and worship him as the creator of heaven and earth. Amen. Just lift your hands with me right now. Father, I thank you so much, God, for your the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Nothing else is going to come of anything we ever do, any of our efforts, if there is not a fear of God in our lives. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. That love is flowing from a I better listen to him. And then you realize, oh, he's so good. Wow. He's so good. He is so good. Better bow the knee now. Amen. Stand with me right now. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.